You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, little bitch. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Are you not entertained? I don't know who you are. Why so simple? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's the lion! Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody had a great week and are feeling significantly better than I do currently. I decided to have a little bit too much fun tonight, and boy, am I feeling it today. Don't get drunk over the age of, like, 28 kids. It's not worth it. Anyway, this week on Two Sentence Movie Reviews of Movies I Saw in a Movie Theater, Army of the Dead. Yes, it's a Netflix movie, but I saw it in a movie theater. I'm not a big fan of zombie movies in general, no matter how good they are, but I really didn't mind this. It's a great character-driven film, go figure. That's it, short and sweet this week. As is this week's episode. This week, we're wrapping up our first animation-themed month with a deep dive into one of the biggest studios in modern animation. I'm talking about DreamWorks, the only animation studio currently in the game that can hold a candle to Walt Disney Animation, when it feels like it anyway. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. It all started when two pretty big names in film and a music producer decided to strike out on their own and make a movie studio. They were David Geffen, who'd worked with musical acts the likes of Bob Dylan, Elton John, and Cher, Jeffrey Katzenberg, a former Disney executive who had recently not so willingly left his job there. For a deeper dive on this, check out my episode, The Man in His Mouse, Disney After Walt. Long story short, Katzenberg, despite basically saving Disney and being an integral part of the beginning of the Disney renaissance was fired from his job because Michael Eisner, the CEO of Disney at the time, and Roy E. Disney, the head of the board of directors at the time, didn't like Katzenberg and screwed him over, leading Katzenberg to resign from Disney after Lion King was released in 1994. The third and final founder was Steven Spielberg, who was... Do I have to explain to anyone who Steven Spielberg is? Like, really? Like, if you were to name a famous director, it's like him or Martin Scorsese. Anyway, this trio wanted to set up a studio that special specialized in live action as well as animation. Of course, today we're going to focus just on the animation side. Starting a new production company that did a combination of those two within one studio hadn't been attempted in decades. But the three were already staggeringly successful and wealthy, so the risk for them wasn't particularly substantial. In founding the production company, they agreed on three conditions. They would make fewer than nine movies a year. They would be free to work for other studios if they chose, guessing this was Spielberg's adage, and they would all go home each day in time for dinner. 
They officially founded DreamWorks SKG, SKG being the first letters of each of their surnames, in October 1994, with financial backing of $33 million from each of the three partners, see Rich, plus a $500 million investment from Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen, and $300 million from Chael Jadang Group heiress Miki Lee. DreamWorks' first home was set up on the Universal Studios backlot in the same building as Steven Spielberg's production company, Amblin. The following year, the studio set up its animation department. With Amblin, Spielberg had a British-based animation department, many of whom were brought stateside to set up the new DreamWorks animation. Katzenberg also scalped some of the Walt Disney animators when he left. The department from Amblin was closed down in 1997, and the remainder of the British staff transferred to DreamWorks. DreamWorks signed a deal in 1997 with Pacific Data Images to create a new subsidiary, PDI LLC, in order to create computer-generated animation films. The following year, their first two films, Ants and Prince of Egypt, were slated to be released. Ants was based on a project that had been pitched to Katzenberg while he was at Disney, but was unable to get the project off its feet. Now with his own production company, he could do so. Some say he stole the idea, but I'll leave that up to you based on what you hear next. Ants ended up fueling an already established feud between Katzenberg and Disney. At the time, Pixar was about to release its second film, A Bug's Life, which also had Ants as the main characters and was distributed and partially financed by Disney. Ants' release date was also announced to be a month before A Bug's Life was slated to release, which meant that audiences probably wouldn't want to see two seemingly identical films. So which were audiences going to choose? The one from a studio with Disney backing or a brand new studio they'd never heard of? Rumor has it that in October 1995, when Lasseter was overseeing post-production work on Toy Story at the Universal Backlot, where DreamWorks was also located, Lasseter had visited Katzenberg, whom he had remained in touch with. They discussed Lasseter's plans for A Bug's Life in detail. Y'all never tell your rival your plans ever, even if they're your friend. Lasseter had high hopes for Toy Story and was telling friends throughout the tight-knit computer animation business to get cracking on their own films. Quote, if this hits, it's going to be like space movies after Star Wars for computer animation studios. Katzenberg was more interested in the follow-up vehicle. Quote, I should have been wary, Lasseter later recalled. Jeffrey kept asking questions about when it would be released. Originally, The Prince of Egypt was supposed to be DreamWorks' first animated film, releasing in December 1998, but Katzenberg moved Ants from spring of 99 to October 98 to directly compete with A Bug's Life. Katzenberg claimed this was to help Prince of Egypt with their release not long after, but the logic is flawed to say the least, probably because it was likely an out-and-out lie. (laughs) This whole release date debacle, coupled with the argument as to whether or not Katzenberg stole the idea for Ants from A Bug's Life, led to petty infighting between the executives at Disney and Katzenberg. Just a bunch of grown-up dudes fighting about cartoons. Katzenberg invited Disney executives to DreamWorks to negotiate a release date change for Bugs, but the company refused to budge. Disney afterward announced the release dates for films that were going to compete with The Prince of Egypt, and both studios had to compete with Paramount, which was releasing the Rugrats movie in November, which was based on an already established, mega-popular cartoon. In his book The Pixar Touch, 
author David Price states that the rumor around town was that Katzenberg had given PDI, quote, rich financial incentives to induce them to whatever it would take to have ants ready first, despite Pixar's head start. Steve Jobs, owner of Pixar at the time, furiously called Katzenberg to explain that there was nothing he could do to convince them to change the date. Katzenberg said that Jobs himself had taught him how to conduct similar business practices not long ago. He also flat out told Jobs that he had enough power with Disney to convince them to change specific plans on their films. Lasseter also claimed Katzenberg had phoned him with a final proposition to delay Ants if Disney and Pixar changed the date of A Bug's Life, but Katzenberg vehemently denied this. Jobs believed it was a, quote, blatant extortion attempt. As the release dates for both films approached, Disney executives concluded that Pixar should keep quiet on Ants and the whole feud concerning DreamWorks, even though everyone in Hollywood already knew about it. It wasn't exactly subtle anyway. Regardless, Lasseter publicly dismissed Ants as a, quote, schlock version of A Bug's Life, though later admitted he'd never even seen the film. Lasseter claimed that if DreamWorks and PDI made the film about anything other than insects, he would have closed Pixar for the day so the entire company could go see it. I know people who've worked for Disney on various levels, and they're encouraged actually not to see competitors' films their opening weekend due to the box office, so I highly doubt Lasseter would have actually done this. Despite trying to keep quiet about it, the rivaling insect movies invoked a press frenzy. Quote, The bad guys rarely win, Jobs told the LA Times. In response, DreamWorks' head of marketing, Terry Press, suggested, quote, Steve Jobs should take a pill. Again, grown-ups having fights about cartoons. Tensions would remain high between Jobs and Katzenberg for many years after the film's subsequent releases. According to Jobs, Katzenberg approached him after the opening of Shrek and insisted that he had never heard the pitch for A Bug's Life, reasoning that his settlement with Disney would have given him a share of the profits if that were so. But then he also said he'd taken the idea from a pitch he heard while at Disney, so... All of this is just a mess of he said, he said, and he said, and then he said. Since the winner in most entertainment disputes is whoever makes the most money, Ants, despite stellar reviews, did not even come close to what Disney Pixar made off of Bug's Life. About $200 million less, to be exact. So, which one was the better movie? Well, which one do you remember the plot of the most without having to look it up? Once upon a time, there was a lovely princess. But she had an enchantment upon her of a fearful sort which could only be broken by love's first kiss. She was locked away in a castle, guarded by a terrible fire-breathing dragon. Many brave knights had attempted to free her from this dreadful prison, but none prevailed. She waited in the dragon's keep, in the highest room of the tallest tower, for her true love and true love's first kiss. <laughs> Like that's ever gonna happen. Oh, Lord. With their first film, and Scandal, already in the books, DreamWorks prepared for their second release, The Prince of Egypt, another film that Katzenberg had wanted to make while at Disney. This film, which had been the original intended first DreamWorks animation film, actually had a merch and soundtrack rollout that there was no time to do with Ants. Prince of Egypt did markedly better than Ants at the box office, but not quite the Disney numbers they were aiming to compete against. 
In 2000, DreamWorks Animation became its own department within DreamWorks SKG with the intention to create both computer animation and stop-motion animations. Following The Prince of Egypt was The Road to El Dorado, which I personally remember quite fondly, though I've only seen it once or twice, but it full-on tanked at the box office. This film lost major cash. Chicken Run followed shortly after in 2000, though the studio acted only as the distributor. Ardman Animations was the production company. The next big DreamWorks release was Shrek, which had been in production as long as The Prince of Egypt and Ants. I don't need to tell you, given how ingrained this franchise has become in at least American society, that this was the film that changed DreamWorks Animation's fortunes. The film is based on a children's book and spends several years in development hell before the filmmakers finally formed the film into what eventually was released. In fact, animators that were struggling on the aforementioned films were often sent to work on Shrek, which they called being Shreked or getting sent to the gulag. So what happened next was quite a surprise for everyone involved. Shrek released in May 2001 and was an instantaneous cultural phenomenon. The film finished fourth at the box office that year, behind the first Harry Potter film, the first Lord of the Rings film, and Pixar's Monsters, Inc. The film set off a franchise for the studio with three sequels and multiple spin-offs, short films, and TV series. While outgrossed by Pixar and therefore Disney that year, DreamWorks would get the last laugh. At the 74th Academy Awards, Shrek would take home the first Academy Award, for Best Animated Feature. This kind of feels like poetic justice, as the film clearly takes a shot at the notion of a happy ending and the Disney model as a whole. Good for Katzenberg. I mean, DreamWorks. With the success of CGI animation, DreamWorks declared that all further films going into production would be released using this medium, starting with Shrek 2. Shrek 2 would be the highest grossing film of 2004. Despite all this, DreamWorks would struggle to maintain the consistency and quality of projects in the same way Pixar, a company only three years ahead of them on the feature film front, would excel. It's a new world. It's a new start. It's alive with the beating of a young heart. It's a new day in a new land. And it's way Next for DreamWorks was Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. The film took four years to make as they mixed classic animation styles with digital animation styles, a method they called tradigital animation. Bold of them to name it as they were far from the first to do it. One kind of cool thing they implemented in this movie is that all of the horse sounds down to the hoof beats are recordings of actual horses and not something manufactured in a foley stage. This movie is way more cutesy and sentimental than the prior DreamWorks films had been, and did okay, but couldn't touch Shrek in terms of cash or reviews. 
Sinbad and the Legend of the Seven Seas followed in 2003, another Katzenberg film that Disney wouldn't let him make. In screen tests, people liked Sinbad's dog more than Sinbad, which should have told them all they needed to know about how that film was going to do at the box office. It hella bombed. The studio had planned to make seven Sinbad films, one for each of the seas, but the failure of the film and El Dorado led to its ultimate cancellation. They blamed traditional animation for why the film didn't land. In 2004, DreamWorks Animation became its own thing when it became a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. Katzenberg headed the new division while Spielberg and Geffen remained on board as investors and consultants. DreamWorks Animation also inherited interests in PDI and DreamWorks SKG. They made an agreement with their former parent company, Paramount Pictures, to distribute all of their films until they delivered 12 new films or December 12, 2010, whichever came last. The last film distributed by Paramount was Rise of the Guardians in 2012. Shrek 2 was released in May 2004 and gave DreamWorks the needed win it was looking for, and as I mentioned earlier, it became the highest grossing film of 2004 and the first film to appear in 4,000 plus cinemas upon its release. The film was originally going to be about Shrek being haunted by the ghost of Lord Farquaad, but the author of the books hated that idea and it eventually became the plot of the Shrek 4D ride at the Universal Studios parks. Here's where we see how uneven DreamWorks can be. The same year as Shrek 2, Shark Tale came out and it tanked. Madagascar came out the following year in 2005 and launched another popular franchise for the studio, which included four additional films, four short films, and three TV shows. Another Aardman movie was also released in 2005, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, which did great critically, won the second and last for DreamWorks Best Animation Feature Oscar for the studio, but it tanked financially. DreamWorks would distribute their final Aardman film, Flushed Away, the following year, before the two companies ended their agreement, citing creative differences. On January 31st, 2006, DreamWorks SKG not the animation side, was purchased by Paramount Pictures, making them the animation studio's distributor. Over the Hedge was the first film released after the acquisition of DreamWorks SKG in 2006, and it tanked hard. The third Shrek film, Shrek the Third, released in 2007. While the first two Shrek films were smashes, critically and financially for DreamWorks, this film marked a shift in Shrek's popularity with the critics and slightly to the audiences as well. Critics panned the film, and the film made about $120 million less than Shrek 2 had. It still made almost $800 million, but it was likely not what they were hoping for. The next major hit for DreamWorks would be in 2008 with Kung Fu Panda, which kicked off another franchise for DreamWorks. The animators took a six-hour Kung Fu class in order to prepare for animating the characters. Kung Fu Panda has spawned two additional films, five short films, and two television series. With 3D theater releases becoming all the rage around 2007, DreamWorks announced that they would release all further films in this format. The first film to release after this declaration was Monsters vs. Aliens in 2009. During this time, DreamWorks entered Fortune Magazine's 100 Best Companies to Work For. DreamWorks is the only entertainment company ever to be featured on that list. 
With a string of financial winners behind them, DreamWorks ramped up their features, aiming to put out five films in two years. Katzenberg modified this statement the year after it was announced in 2011 that this wasn't a new company goal, merely the goal for 2010 to 2012. In 2010, DreamWorks became the first studio to put out three CGI animated films in one year. This snaffle fang lost his leg to one of Drago Bloodbist's iron traps. This rain cutter had a wing slice by razor netting. And this oh, poor hobble grunt was blinded by a tree snare and then left to die alone and scared. And what of this? Did Drago or his trappers do this too? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, crazy thing is I'm actually the one who shot him down. Hey, it's, it's okay, though. You got me back. Right, bud? You couldn't save all of me, could you? You just had to make it even. So, peg leg. <laughs> From 2010 to 2014, DreamWorks released eight animated films, including How to Train Your Dragon 2 and The Croods, and all eight were critically well-received and also did pretty well financially. In 2013, DreamWorks expanded to the children's television series market, making a deal with Netflix to create content based on their properties, including the new and instantly popular Trolls films. Katzenberg finalized a deal to acquire Awesomeness TV around this time as well. The following year, they founded DreamWorks Press to publish children's books. When the Paramount distribution deal ended, DreamWorks struck a deal with 20th Century Fox. By the end of 2014, there were whispers that DreamWorks DreamWorks might be for sale. The first potential buyer was Japanese conglomerate SoftBank, but the offer was rescinded the day after news of the offer had been reported. Later in the year, Hasbro was rumored to be looking into purchasing DreamWorks. The idea was reportedly to have Hasbro acquire DreamWorks and then rename the company DreamWorks Hasbro. Rolls right off the tongue. This deal also fell through. Two years later, on April 28, 2016, it was announced that Comcast, parent company of NBC Universal, would be acquiring DreamWorks for $3.8 billion. Katzenberg would stay on as head of DreamWorks New Media, but control over both studios would go to Chris Melodrondri, the head of previously acquired by Universal Animation Company Illumination. Illumination is, of course, the company responsible for the Despicable Me franchise. Katzenberg stepped down from his new role not long after the merger happened. He would go on to start another company, Quibi, in 2018, which is meant to be a streaming platform especially for your phone. The company launched at the height of the coronavirus lockdowns, aka when everyone started using the dusty TV in the corner again, and the streaming site became the first casualty of the streaming wars within seven months of its release. Katzenberg had raised $1.65 billion to start Quibi and only returned about $350 million to its investors. Katzenberg announced the closure to employees on a company-wide phone call, and the multimillionaire told them to listen to a song from Trolls to feel better about themselves as they dusted off their resumes. Such marvelousness it's gonna bring. Got a pocket full of songs that I'm gonna sing, and I'm ready to take on anything. Hooray! Some super fun
Well, I'll give him some credit. That song is quite the bop. Once the sale of DreamWorks to NBC Universal was approved by the United States Department of Justice, Universal amped up the amount of films that would soon pour out of the studio, starting with How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, in 2019. Six films were slated to follow in the next three years. In 2020, it was announced that DreamWorks would start making series for the NBC streaming platform Peacock. For the next few years, DreamWorks is releasing mostly sequels, including one for Spirit, which is very different in look from the one that came out in 2000, and the Shrek spinoff Puss in Boots sequel, and of course, the Boss Baby sequel. While spotty and churning out hits, partially because they've never really managed to find a singular voice and style in the way Pixar has, DreamWorks remains one of the most popular animation studios in the world, having released 39 animated films, most of them computer-generated animation, in only 22 years. Whether they sink or swim in the long run is up to them. And that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media, where I also post photos for each episode. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore Factory on Twitter, on Facebook at The Tinsel Factory. And if you have any questions, you can always email me at TinselFactoryPod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there. So if you could please rate, review and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. Next weekend is Memorial Day and you may know someone who's driving next weekend or traveling next weekend and might like to learn a thing or two about film. Mayhaps, just mayhaps, you float this podcast to them. In order to keep making this podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes, as well as a Venmo code, which is at Tinsel Factory Pod. Any help would be hot. I've also got merch. Check it out at the link in the show notes. There's going to be no new episode next week. I will be in my homeland doing a beer tour but I'll be back the following week with a new theme that I'm calling Boulevard of Broken Dreams a month on people with big Hollywood dreams and tragic endings thanks again for listening and until next time that's a wrap somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed she was looking kind of dumb with her fingers